Good morning. Welcome to the round table. Glad you're here. There's a seat in the back for you. Thank you. In the back, John. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Jimmy's telling you back. Back. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. John, keep going. Guys, we continue in the series of Joshua into the promised land. And I got to admit, I am excited about today's topic. Work. 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 Man. You know, you always come up with these topics that are relevant to somebody else. Yeah. Now you hit one on me. Yeah, now you hit one on me. Work. I've been talking to Kelly. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, let me uh, remind you of Two Gun Tactical next week, Tuesday night, 6.30. Guest speaker, Jeff Rickles. I love it. I love it. Mr. Rickles, I will be there if you are speaking. Matter of fact, I may be there anyway. What are you speaking on? Me. Great. Hey. You what? That's a salesman. If it ever was, guys, I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much to C Spire for hosting us and providing the breakfast and the coffee, guys. This is uh, this is just a great day of being here. Let me update you just a little bit if I could. Last week I mentioned to you about Jeff Stout. Uh, his wife Taria was in Baltimore. Um, those of you not here last week, uh, Taria changed ENT doctors. Uh, recently, and when she met with the younger doctor, she said, I need a baseline to start with. Let's do an MRI, let's do a scan, be sure I see everything going on. And in the scan, they found a tumor on her brain. A God thing, if there can be such a thing as a God thing in finding a cancerous tumor. Totally undetected, unknown until the scan was done. She had surgery Tuesday. Surgery uh, went as planned, no complications. She has been resting uh, for the most part pain-free or pain-managed. Uh, she was out of critical care, I think, yesterday, and the doctors will meet with them today, and it's possible that she may be transferred to their apartment. They'll spend uh, several more weeks in Baltimore in the area uh, as she recovers. So if you would continue to keep Jeff and Taria in your prayers. Uh, Jeff and I talked a little bit last night, and uh, – he really does appreciate the, the prayers and the support. It's, you know, as men, we want to fix it. And uh, with our wife, I mean, what more could you could you ask for unless maybe it's a child being able to fix it and being in a position where there's nothing you can do. That's, uh, that's got to be torturous. But anyway, guys, I'm glad you're here. Let me start us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. I thank you for my brothers that are here. Thank you for Phil and his preparedness each week. Lord, I ask that you open our hearts, open our ears, allow us to hear your message from you. Of all, let me pray. Let me That's all. June twenty six, guys, is work day at Ebenezer Place. Uh, uh, Josh uh, Robles is our. Uh, work day foreman, and uh, I would ask you to uh, give the day, uh, give an hour, give a couple hours, come up to Ebenezer Place and rake, chop, 
saw um, clean up, um, and uh, we're going to really work this summer in having three work days to, to get uh, ready for our next deer camp men's coaching weekend uh, season uh, that'll start in uh, September. So we're making a big push this summer to uh, significantly improve um, our um, workspace, Ebenezer Place. Speaking of work, uh, I have a song for you this morning. Um, work um, is, is a gift from God. And um, my uh, daddy is 94, and I kind of want to um, dedicate these next three weeks that we'll spend uh, looking at work. Uh, we'll look at Joshua, and then as we've been doing, um, um, look at an area of manhood, and that is work. And um, my dad taught me what hard work looks like. He um, retired after X number of years at a textile mill. Um, in Elizabethan, Tennessee, blue collar worker, uh, had the black uh, lunch box that I remember uh, growing up as a kid, he'd pack that lunch and he went to work faithfully every day, blue collar worker. And um, the song, the pictorial deal is um, a, um, uh, honoring of truck drivers. And uh, of course, Joe, I couldn't help but think of our good friend, Tim Atkinson, uh, who uh, bounced around as a school teacher and uh, a number of things, um, uh, 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 sold pizza for a while, and then he became a truck driver. And I heard Denise say that uh, that was his uh, dream job. If he'd have known how much fun it was to drive a truck, he would have started out driving a truck right out of high school. Thank God uh, for men who work hard. Um, May you hear the voice of God through this song and may it open your heart to what God has for us this morning. Work. jeans, a homemade sandwich, a half a jug of tea, the average Joe, the average pay, the same old end, the same old day, but there's nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer, kind of glue and sticks this world together, hands of steel and cradle of the promised land, God bless the working man. Life keeps taking, he keeps giving Behind the scene, below the grave I hardly noticed, but part of everything But there's nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer Kind of glue that sticks this world together Hands of steel and cradle of the promised land God bless the working man Gives his life, then fades away 
another young man takes his place. Average Joe, average pay, the same old end, the same old day. But there's nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer. Kind of do it sticks this world together. Hands of steel and cradle of the promised land. the working man strong words from first corinthians 16 13. let's dig in follow with me as we read our opening paragraph joshua take the land be the man the book of joshua is the book of conquest the battlefield is canaan and it is where god keeps his promise that he made with abraham in this study we will use the land possessed by joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine, examine, um, I just realized that was a typo right? I've been doing this for six months, just despite of the title. I'm a little slow, but I'm, I'm not completely uh, disconnected. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? Work. Isn't it ironic that we're being attacked in so many ways in our culture by work? Nobody wants to work. You know, why should I work when somebody is going to give it to me? Um... We always say jokingly, you know, I love free. free. Free is good. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. It'll kill you. What I've often said, and, you know, obviously somebody said this to me because if I had an original thought, I would die of trauma. Um, <laughs> but I heard uh, many years ago, anything that you do for somebody else that they can and need to be doing for themselves, you make them an emotional cripple. And that's what's happening in our culture relative to work. Um, you know, um, so many people, so many young people don't know what work is. Again, I appreciate my 94-year-old daddy because, man, I'm telling you, he wouldn't think about being late for work, not even not going to work. I mean, he was going to go to work. And I've seen him sick, my mama begging him to stay home, calling sick. Uh-uh. He was going to work with that black lunch bucket. Thank you, Papa, for that model. Pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Three questions for you. Question number one, journal. Let's journal this. Always start out with journaling. you got to engage. If you're not writing and you're not living, you have got to put pen to paper. I've said that for 
13 years uh, in this space that I'm so grateful for. Got it right. Do you feel this is what I'm supposed to be doing in your work? This is what I'm supposed to be doing. One of the things that is such a privilege in our country um, is if you don't like what you're doing, there is the possibility of changing careers. I mean, I, I love what I do. I didn't, I didn't go to graduate school until I was 39. Um, it was like, a, uh, right, Roger? 48. 48. Go to graduate school. What a privilege. You know, and there's so many people all around the world, they, they've got one possibility. And, 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 and to be able to quit, to move, or change, or a resume? I mean, what is a resume in two-thirds of the world? Um, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's the idea of working is what I'm supposed to be doing. Making the most of my time. It doesn't mean that you have to have the dream job. It doesn't mean that you even have to like the job. Uh, but it is important that we understand that work is part of God's plan for our life. It's not a curse. It is a gift and it's a blessing. Question number two, what is your theology of work? What is your God-connected idea of work? It is part of God's plan to work at our redemption. I mean, what would you say is your theology of work? And that's actually what we're going to talk about this, this morning. Over the next three weeks, I'll give you 12 principles um, around the theology of work. I'll give you four today, four next week, and four in two weeks. For 12. Finally, assuming time and money were no object, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted? I want you to pair up, talk about work, talk about where you are in your work. Uh, in that third question, what would you do if money were no object? Pair up, meet somebody new. <laughs> Let's continue. Turn over to Joshua chapter 10, and as we have done consistently through this series, we're using Joshua as a model. God never asks us to do anything that doesn't give us a model, and even doesn't give us uh, an example of someone who's failed at what he's asking us to do. Uh, that's one of the neat things about God's grace. Uh, he does not uh, promote perfectionism. Uh, what he promotes um, is a grace-oriented uh, gospel, for sure. So God gives us a model through Joshua in order to help us understand what it means to be a man. Joshua uh, chapter 10. Um, once again, this chapter um, is framed around we conquer when God fights for us. We conquer when God fights for us. God has been teaching Joshua very clearly that if you don't bend the knee and start each day 
on your knees and you get overly confident with the enemy in front of you, you will fail. It's not about your power. It's not about your experience. Uh, God's teaching of the Israelites that consistently they got out ahead of their skis. They got overly confident at AI. We got this, not a big deal. And boom, God said, no. Sent in the camp with Achan. God said, I told you not to take anything out of Jericho. I get the first fruits. And then after Jericho, you can have it all. God's teaching them um, that it is he who provides the victory. We conquer when God fights for us. Who are you in that perspective? Bow the knee. Bow the knee. Read with me, chapter 10. It wasn't long before my master Zedek. Now, in your study Bible, that uh, king of Jerusalem's name is Adonai Zedek, which ironically means the same thing as Melchizedek. It's a picture of the true king of Jerusalem. Right now, the king of Jerusalem is Adonai Zedek, which means Melchizedek. King of Jerusalem, and I'll come back to that. He heard that Joshua had taken Ai and destroyed it in his king under a holy curse, just as he had done to Jericho in its king. He also learned that the people of Gibeon had come to terms with Israel and were living as neighbors. He and his people were alarmed. Gibeon was a big city, as big as any, with the king and bigger than Ai, and all its men were seasoned fighters. And Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Holham, king of Hebron, Param, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lachish, Deborah, king of Eglon, come and help me. Let's attack Gibeon. They joined up with Joshua and the people of Israel. They knew they didn't have a chance individually fighting as these tribes, as these counties, if you will. Uh, and they needed to form an alliance. That as they form this alliance, they might have a chance against the Israelites. So the five Amorite western kings, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, combined their armies and set out to attack Gibeon. And the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua, camped at Gilgal. And this is interesting, camped at Gilgal. All through um, this part of um, Joshua's history, home base was Gilgal. Uh, Gilgal was the home base, and they would go out um, to Jericho, to Ai, and they would come back, and Gilgal was their home base. It's, it's such a, a good picture and metaphor of where is your home base? It's like, I've got to go get refreshed. We need a home base every morning. Um, I had a, had a client of mine, uh, of course, you know, everything that we do now is recorded, whether you want it to be or not. This client of mine showed me where they start every day. And they had their little uh, 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 circle 
of refuge. They had their little Gilgal. And uh, it just so happened when this person sent me the picture, uh, journal was open, Bible was open. That's where they start every day. Gilgal, home base. And that's where Joshua and the children of Israel would come back to, and they would camp there. Don't let us down now. Come up here quickly. Save us. Help us. All the Amorite kings who live up in the hills have ganged up on us. And so Joshua set out from Gilgal, his whole army with him, all those tough soldiers. And God told him, don't give them a second thought. I've put them under your thumb. Not one of them will stand up to you. Well, once again, God promises victory. But he promises victory on his terms. You can't put that in a box. You know, that which has worked in the past, uh, Joshua's learning, didn't work. You know, the first time, Jericho, what worked that time? Just march around the city every day, every day, blow the trumpet on the seventh day, and boom, walls fall down. Um, and it was easy. And then when they come into AI, and it didn't work that way. And they thought they had it, and they got defeated. You can't put that in a box. He does it differently in so many of these battles. Creatively. Joshua marched all night from Gilgal and took them by total surprise. God threw them into total confusion before Israel, a major victory at Gibeon. Israel chased them along the ridge to Beth Horon and fought them all the way down to Azekai and Machadot. As they ran from the people of Israel down from the Beth Horon, they run through the bushes and they run. How's that sound? <laughs> can help ADD, ADD, and all, squirrel, and all the way to Azekai. God pitched huge uh, stones on them out of the sky, and many died. More died from the hailstones than the people of Israel killed with the sword. A hailstorm? Well, you know, it was just coincidence, right? You know, it just so happened a hailstorm. You know what's interesting about it? If you want to go that direction, just, oh, wow. Interesting hailstorm came up. None of the Israelites got hit by the hail. Hail state, something like that. Right? <laughs> I just couldn't pass that out. That was too easy. Amazing <laughs> <laughs> that none of the Israelites got hit. And it's like miracle. Now, that, that ain't nothing. A hailstorm? What's this? As God says. The day God gave the Amorites up to Israel, Joshua spoke to God with all Israel listening. Stop, sun over Gibeon. Halt, moon over Agilon Valley. And sun stopped. Moon stood still until he defeated his enemies. You can find this written in the book of Joshua. Joshua, the sun stopped in its tracks in mid-sky, just sat there all day. There's never been a day like that before or since. God took orders from a human voice. Truly, God fought for Israel. You see, the Bible is full of just myths. It's not true. I mean, the sun stopping, I mean, that's out of some comic book. No, it's not. 
I mean, scientists, I've, I've, I've read so much about scientists, you know, trying to figure out how the lost day occurred in the calendar. And, and, and again, the Bible's try, not trying to give us a science book, but it's like God somehow created this longer day in such a way that the Israelites were able to defeat these Amorite kings. Then Joshua returned all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Meanwhile, the five kings had hidden in the cave of Machadah, and Joshua was told, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machadah. And Joshua said, roll big stones against the mouth of the cave and post guards to keep watch. But don't you hang around, go after your enemies, cut off their retreat, don't let them back into the cities. God has given them to you. God has given them to you. God has given them to you. Joshua and the people of Israel then finished them off. Total devastation. Only a few got away to the fortified towns. Those were just the news reporters. <laughs> the whole army then returned intact to the camp and to Joshua at Machadah. There was no criticism that day from the people of Israel. Wow, that's a, that's a change. They didn't have anything to criticize about bellyache, moan, and groan. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring me those five kings. And they did it. They brought in the five kings from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. When they had them all there in front of Joshua, he called up the army and told the field commanders who had been there with him, come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And he kills them. And in Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 110, the first verse talks about, and the enemies of God will be a footstool to his people. And it comes from this idea that putting the neck uh, on the people is, is total domination by God. It's a, it's a symbol. They stepped up and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua told them, don't hold back. Don't be timid. Be strong. Be confident. This is what God will do to all your enemies when you fight them. We conquer when God fights for us. Well, lest you uh, be sympathetic toward these kings and toward these people, they, they were evil. They were, uh, they were pagans, and God was putting judgment on them for their evil. And that God who was fighting for Joshua that day is the same God that you and I serve today. Don't think for a minute that God won't bring judgment onto evil. I mean, again, as I've said to you before, this, this whole idea of, well, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, hey, please. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Don't, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. God is the same today and for always. He didn't change. It's just that he gave us an answer for his judgment, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So the rest of that chapter just talks about complete annihilation of the evil of these people. God wipes them out. And then the last part of the chapter, verse 40, Joshua took the whole country, hills, desert, foothills, and mountain slopes, including all kings. He left no survivors. I mean, that's a hard, hard passage to read. He left no survivors. 
He carried out the holy curse on everything that breathed, just as God, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua's conquest stretched from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, from the entire region of Goshen to Gibeon. Joshua took all these kings and their lands in a single campaign because God, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And then Joshua, all Israel with him, went back to the camp at Gilgal, home base. We conquer when God fights for us. I would suggest to you that the model that God's given us today is simply this. Because God. Isn't that the explanation of your life and my life? All I have is because of God. I'm not smart enough, good enough, good-looking enough, you know, whatever it is. It's because of God. It's because of God. I'm so grateful for our gathering on Thursday morning for 13 years. Jimmy, Hugh, all at C-SPY, thank you. Thank you. And I trust that ceasefire is better because God's word is being taught weekly here. I believe my life is better because I'm here and because I walk with God as best I know how. I am far, far, far from where I want to be or would like to be. But I keep chopping wood. Keep chopping wood, as they say, right? I keep working because God. And what God uses is miracles. I believe that we serve a God of miracles today. I mean, the sun stood still. Yeah, storms just happened to come out of the sky at the right moment. I believe our country um, has experienced military victories because God has breathed on us. And there are stories in military history of just how we've been blessed to win that battle or that battle. And when we stop to submit our um, uh, lives to God, people stop complaining. People stop complaining. Yeah. Yeah. They stopped complaining because they saw what God does. Guys, even in our marriage workshop, which is coming up in two weeks, by the way, a shameless plug, uh, June 25th and 26th, one of the things that we say, even in marriage, all blame and criticism must stop. Criticism is just the adult cry of a child. You know? Blame and criticism. Watch it. Bitterness, resentment will destroy your heart. And the people stopped criticizing. It's part of faith, trusting God. And then this idea of a priest. Once again, we know that our high priest is Jesus. At that time of this campaign, 
Adonai Zedek was the king of Jerusalem. You know what's interesting about Jerusalem? Is that Jerusalem in Joshua's campaign was not defeated. It was one of those areas that God had told Joshua to clean out, and they didn't clean out Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was not uh, uh, completely taken over until King David. And so King David was the king, the predecessor of the true king, Jesus, to take it over. And he was the priest, Melchizedek, in the true sense. In Hebrews, Jesus is talked about as the true high priest, uh, as Melchizedek. So this, this is like a pattern that God's given us a template to understand that he supplies the victory we conquer when God fights for us. Seen it over and over. God does a miracle in a man's life when he comes to me. So God's given us this pattern. So how about manhood? What does it mean to really be a man after God's own heart? What did we learn from Joshua? And part of what we learn from Joshua as we've looked at these different topics is you have got to do the work. Work. I want to offer you this morning as, as we get started just for a few minutes and looking at this topic, um, a video clip by Denzel Washington. Um, I love Denzel Washington movies. Everybody loves Denzel. One of the things that's so cool about Denzel is he loves the Lord. And um, so many of his movies uh, are so redemptive. Um, it'll have the gospel written all through it. Um, watch what Denzel has to share with us about work. I think it's worth listening to. Fail big. That's right. Today's the beginning of the rest of your life. And it's going to be very frightening. It's a new world out there. It's a mean world out there. It's you only live once, so do what you feel passionate about. Take chances professionally. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams, and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Have goals. In order to achieve your goals, you must apply discipline, which you have already done, and consistency every day, not just on Tuesday and miss a few days. You have to work at it every day. You have to plan every day. You've heard the saying, we don't plan to fail. We fail to plan. Hard work works. Working really hard is what successful people do. And in this text, tweet, twerk world that you've grown up in, remember, just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Don't confuse movement with progress. My mother told me, she said, yeah, because you can run in place all the time and never get anywhere. 
So continue to strive, continue to have goals, continue to progress. I don't care how much money you make, you can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried it. They got robbed. That's all they got. You can't take it with you. And it's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. The most selfish thing you can do in this world is help someone else. Why is it selfish? Because the gratification, the goodness that comes to you, the good feeling, the good feeling that I get from helping others, nothing's better than that. Well, one or two things, but nothing's better than that. Not, not jewelry, not big house I have, not the cars, but the, the, it's the joy. That's where the joy is in helping others. That's where the success is in helping others. Finally, I pray that you put your slippers way under the bed tonight so that when you wake up in the morning you have to get on your knees to reach them and while, you, when, while you're down there say thank you for grace thank you for mercy thank you for understanding thank you for wisdom thank you for parents Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what's already yours. True desire in the heart, that itch that you have, whatever it is you want to do, that thing that you want to do to help others and to, to grow and to make money, that desire, that itch, that's God's proof to you sent beforehand already to indicate that it's yours and anything you want good you can have so claim it work hard to get it when you get it reach back pull someone else up each one teach one don't just aspire to make a living aspire to make a difference amen amen it makes me want to make sure i've seen all the denzel washington movies right um I hope you'll watch that again. I hope you'll play that to your sons and daughters. I hope you'll play that to your employees. Work. See, the idea of work, um, look at your notes there, satisfaction. Satisfaction. Nothing is more normal than for you to find satisfaction in your work. And again, whether you're retired, uh, you're still uh, working, building your business, um, it's the idea of how are you building the kingdom? Um, it's so important that we see that what we have been given as resources are intended to be multiplied. I love the parable of the talents. You know, the guy who gets five, 
and makes 10. The guy who gets two and makes four. The guy who gets one and buries it because he's afraid he'll lose it. And he digs his fingernails in it and tries to hold on to it. And the master comes along and what happens to his one? He gets it taken away and the guy who made 10 gets that one. And so you end up with 11, four, and zero. Do the math. Nothing is more excruciating than a job we don't like. Is work something we do to earn money so that we can do what's really important, or is there intrinsic spiritual value in the work itself? And again, sometimes when you're in a miserable job, it's just being faithful. Keep chopping wood. Keep chopping wood. It's amazing what perseverance is. On Friday morning in our men's group in Fairhope, I'm doing a series right now on character. And we've been going through a number of different character uh, qualities. And, and what we're on right now, which is ironic with what we're here uh, working on, is diligence. Perseverance is important, but diligence is what's needed in order to persevere. Perseverance is like the duck on the water. He's going across. Diligence is like his little feet that you don't see. Paddling heart underneath. Diligence. Diligence. Work. So here's the theology of work. Here's, here's the first four of the 12. Number one, you were created to do real work that makes a real difference. There is intrinsic value in work. God has delegated dominion over creation to us as a sacred trust. Genesis 1, 27, 28 is a creation mandate. Rule, subdue, and have dominion. Go into the garden. Take charge. What is the redemptive part of your job? Even the job that you hate. It may be that guy that's sitting in the next cubicle by you. It may be the security guard that you walk by every morning that just needs a hello. Maybe you are the redemptive person that God has put in that person's life. It ain't about the job itself. It's about the environment that you're in and how you're faithful to where God's put you. Number two, work is calling is a calling for which you are ordained by God. Genesis 2, 15, the idea of work. God calls us to be responsible and to take charge, to work with authority. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't change. I mean, I was, you know, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, working hard at what I was doing with executive ministries. And I had a dream of being a counselor. Raymond, you had a dream of being a counselor. Raymond spent, what, six years going to night school and finished six years worth of graduate work while he kept his own job because he had a dream of helping teenagers. I love my brother and the work that he does in my office, by the way, uh, as an office mate. And I love that. Wow. Redemptive work. Number three, every vocation has dignity. There is dignity in every job because every job makes a difference. Name a job. It's dignity. It's necessary. One of the things about the grace of God that truly amazes me is that everybody doesn't want to be a counselor. 
And everybody doesn't want to be a lawyer. Praise God. Everybody doesn't want to be a doctor. It's like the grace of God somehow keeps the world in balance. Because there's guys who want to do jobs and love jobs that I would never know how to do or want to do. It's like that is a part of God's creation, holding it all together. All things fit together in Christ. And every job is necessary. Boy, do we need to hear this kind of stuff in our culture today. Work. And then fourth and finally, every vocation is sacred to the Lord. And this, this may be my favorite one of the four today. Every vocation is sacred to the Lord. There is no such thing as a secular job. The Bible affirms the holiness and sanctity of vocation. One of the terms that you know that I've used in my own life for years is full-time Christian work. I don't use that anymore. I don't like that term. Full-time Christian work. Every job is full-time Christian work. Secular and spiritual vocations. No. There's vocations to where I get a chance to express my faith and my gratitude for the job that I have. God, guys, work is a gift. Don't ever take it for granted. When you're struggling in work, there's something going on inside that needs to be dealt with. And, and I wouldn't deny that it's a hard thing. It's, it's as we talk often, be curious, what's going on in me that I hate my job, that I'm having difficulty working? Because work is ordained by God. It's a gift. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much. The model of Joshua and the gift of work. Help us be faithful, even to trust you and how we're stretched and, and uh, struggling in our job. And Father, I pray you would help us to use that which you've given us in a redemptive way, to help us make a difference in however, whether it's a hello to a person or the gift of resources that we're able to share with others. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys. Amen.